Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. As we continue in the Sundays of Easter and celebrate the resurrection of Christ, and we get close now to the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost, we continue to hear words from Jesus from his farewell discourse. He's giving the disciples words of assurance before he leaves. We also hear today from Paul's incredible sermon to Athens, to the people of Athens. This is a great, great sermon because it's one of the few places where one of the apostles actually preached to people who have never heard anything about the biblical story. Peter and Paul often would preach to Gentiles, but they usually, they're called God-fearers. They probably had learned something about the story. They had something to go on, but these folks are starting from the ground level. Um, the other thing, reason why we listen to this sermon uh, at this point in the church year is because the resurrection of Jesus is the central point for this amazing sermon that Paul preaches. So Paul walks around Athens, and I imagine he saw these great monuments to the, to the Greek gods, and, and probably, um, you know, he saw all kinds of little monuments, little idols like these, um, of, of peoples worshiping these Greek gods. And we're told that Athens had thousands, thousands of gods. And we're told that Paul is astounded by their idolatry. So he does this walk, and he sees all these gods, and he gets to know, um, uh, you know, he gets to know all of what's going on, and, and I'm sure he, like I say, he probably saw this great um, monument to Zeus. And then he preaches in some of the synagogues, and also in the marketplace, and there he encounters Epicureans and Stoics, and these were people who were philosophers, different schools of thought. I was taught in college that philosophy is the art of wondering, and so these are folks that love to wonder, and we're actually told from Luke just before our passage today that this group of people just loved to look at new things. They'd spend all their time studying new things, and so boy, Paul has an in there. And so, Paul on the Areopagus, as it's called, um, delivers an amazing sermon. Now, this could be the Areopagus. This is a hill overlooking Athens um, called Mars Hill in English, as that's the way it would translate out. Um, but also, we're not sure if the Areopagus was actually a council, because there was a council called the Areopagus, and um, this was an aristocratic group of philosophers and leaders and religious leaders and civil leaders, and they would get together and debate things and hash out um, issues of the day, uh, maybe kind of like a think tank might be today. And so, boy, this is a perfect audience for Paul, and he rises up and he speaks to them. Oh, let's unpack this sermon today of Paul's. As Paul begins, the first thing he says is, people of Athens, people of Athens, Athenians. I bet you there was a lot of pride 
that they were Athenians. Athens was the cultural hub of the Greco-Roman world. Um, it's kind of like, you know, we get all fired up about our hometown, Seattle, or, you know, Chicago, or New York, whatever it might be, you know, and so I bet you there's a lot of pride in that. So he, he calls them out by name, and he begins to preach to them. But in that walk, when he walked around Athens, he noticed something. Um, but before he refers to that, he says that these folks are very religious. He, he, he builds them up to start off. I noticed you guys are really religious. Uh, now, the interesting thing about this word he uses is actually the, the Greek word translated re, um, religious is actually means demon-fearing. It can have a positive or a pejorative meaning, such as superstitious. Here, undoubtedly, it has a double meaning. So Paul's building them up, maybe. He doesn't call them God-fears. It's interesting, this word. But he, he, he holds them up. Hey, you guys are searching. You're religious. Um, and he celebrates that. You note that Paul doesn't come in and say, hey, you sinners, you horrible people. And he, he builds up and says, hey, you guys are on the right track almost. And then he refers that he saw an altar to an unknown God. Uh, a lonely little altar to an unknown God. It's kind of like the Athenians were thinking, just in case we missed one, we've got to have um, one to an unknown God. This is one that's been found. It doesn't say the exact same thing that we hear about in Luke. This is to a god or goddess, it says in Latin. Um, so, um, again, they're searching. And Paul zeroes in on this unknown God. And he says, what you have worshipped as unknown, I'm going to talk to you about. You know, this altar to the unknown God is kind of almost an admission on the Athenians' part that all of their polytheism, all of their efforts, all of their idol-making, all of their altars, all of their religiosity had come up short. Had come up short. They have a hunch about God. There's, they have a vague notion about God. And they're full of idolatry is what's in the back of Paul's head. Now let's stop here and just ask ourselves for a minute. Um, does that sound at all like the world we live in? Now on the first brush, you'd probably say, no, we don't have any idols and temples uh, around. <laughs> um, or do we? <laughs> I was thinking of something N.T. Wright said, about all of our casinos. And did you know there was a Greek called, God called Fortuna that people worshipped? Well, maybe we do have some altars like that. But we've also, there was also a Greek God called Nike, which was the God of victory. <laughs> and we have a ton of coliseums and stadiums that celebrate victory. Hmm, interesting. Well, maybe we don't have all kinds of little idols everywhere, although it's amazing what you find out there today. 
we do struggle with idolatry. I think about what our beloved Martin Luther said about um, idolatry, and this is from his large catechism. And he's talking about the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods. And he says, therefore, to have a god is nothing else than to trust and believe in that one with your whole heart. As I have often said, it is the trust and faith of the heart alone that make both God and an idol. If your faith and trust are right, then God is the true one. Conversely, where your trust is false and wrong, there you do not have the true God. For these two belong together, faith and God. Anything on which your heart relies and depends, I say, really is your God. I love this. Anything on which your heart relies and depends, I say, really is your God. If Paul walked around our communities and our homes, maybe he would say he was astounded by the many idols too. Mm. Money, there's that classic one. Leisure. Um, a big one for folks today is their own ability to reason. They usually say science. They make that a God. How so? Well, their heart entrusts itself to those things above all else. Um, how about happiness? That seems to be the goal people are striving for today. It could be food. It could be sex. It could be um, fame and fortune, popularity. I think that's a huge one for us is this sense of being accepted. We are all striving. It's like we have to be accepted. We are running away from being shamed or, or not being accepted by others. And, and that just seems to drive everything that sometimes we do. It's a powerful force in our lives. I think also fear can be a kind of idol, that fear dictates everything that we do. It can be the thing in which... I know it's a weird thing to think that your heart entrusts itself to fear, but if fear is really driving everything that you do, then your heart is entrusting itself to it. Wow. I could keep going for a long time here, couldn't I? All kinds of idols that we live with um, that we let rule our hearts. It's interesting, John Calvin said something <laughs> um, about uh, idols he said, we may gather that humanity's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. Yeah, it just seems like no matter what it is. And all the things I've talked about, a lot of them are not bad things. They're good things, but we make of them an idol because our heart entrusts itself to those, to those things. We put ultimate importance on those things. It could even be great things like family and relationships. All right. Well, the interesting thing here is that Paul does not do what I've just done with the Athenians. He doesn't just he launch into their idolatry. He affirms that they're searching and they're looking 
And then, then there's this one unknown God, and he, he doesn't berate them, and he doesn't you know, convict them about their idolatry. He just says, I know you're trying, and I know you're searching, and here's this unknown God, this really admission that you're missing something. Let me talk to you about what you're missing, what you're searching for. Um, wow. We are on a quest. Maybe that's what all that idolatry that I talked about is about. We're on a quest for fulfillment, for a good life, for perhaps a meaningful life, um, for joy, for um, significance, and, and we are on a quest. And, and human beings are running after all different kinds of things to fulfill that need. Think of what St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Oh man, the restlessness that's around us and inside of us. Because these things affect us just like they affect other people. Well, I love Paul's language at this point. He says, look, the God that you're searching is not um, far away. We live and move and have our being in him. He's, he's very accessible. Um, as Paul preaches, he says, um, he's right there. Um, but let me tell you about this God that you don't know about. It's the, this is the real God, the God that created everything, all things, everything that exists. And that God cannot be worshipped, cannot be encountered by us making idols. Um, in other words, we can't find God. We can't um, create the connection with God by things we make. And even though we do it differently today, that I think is the names our culture. We can't um, get to God on our own. That's really what Paul's saying. And so after he says that, he launches in to um, God kind of breaking through the void, um, making God's self known. And he says God did that definitively in the person of Jesus Christ. By raising Jesus from the dead, he says that God's going to judge the world by this one. And that there will be a resurrection. And that the resurrection of Jesus is confirmation that he is the way, the truth, and the life, as Jesus said. And this is the place where God actually finds us. We have this quest to find God, but God actually comes and finds us. C.S. Lewis said that, all religions are humanity's search for God, but Christianity is God's search for humanity. I love that. The resurrection of Jesus is kind of the seal, the confirmation that when it comes to what's true and who is God, we look to the resurrection of Jesus. God showed us that by confirming what Jesus told us in raising Jesus from the dead. He's the judge. He's the yardstick. What he's told us about God is what is the truth. So it's kind of ironic at this point, isn't it? Because we are searching for God, and yet God is searching for us. I love you, you too. I, um, I love Bono and... I love that group and music and, you know, that song where we still haven't found, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Well, we keep looking 
We keep looking for God. We still haven't found what we're looking for. I just think that describes what's often a longing in my heart and what's, I know, a longing in so many people's heart in this world. So I want to tell you a story. <laughs> when it comes to searching for someone and they're at the same time searching for you. Have you ever had that experience in the grocery store? <laughs> well, maybe you go with your spouse or with your kids and, and you break up and you go get this and I'll get this and then you got to reconnect and, and this, you got to forget cell phones. This is the era of no cell, cell phones. And man, when you don't have cell phones and you are in a store and you're searching for something, then you can't find each other. It's a weird dynamic because while you're walking one way, your other person's walking the other way, and you miss them maybe in the middle of the aisle, and you can walk around for hours, it seems, trying to find um, the person. I asked Katie uh, if she'd ever had an experience like this, and she told me about something that I had forgotten completely about. When our girls were just young, but certainly young, old enough to to do some shopping by themselves. They were together and, and Sandy was with them and I think it was at a Target store and, and, and they you know, broke up to get different things and of course you know, they get the, their charge and their lists and they go about things. Um, and then they, but Katie and Becca couldn't find Sandy. And I'm pretty sure they passed each other, not right directly, of course, but on the far end of either aisle. And they kept looking, and, and pretty soon, Sandy gets really scared. She can't find her girls. And you know how that feeling is as a parent. Oh my gosh, there's nothing worse than when your kid might be in jeopardy or in harm. And she's frantically searching. But as she's searching for them, they're searching for her, and they just can't connect with each other. And then why Katie remembers this is because all of a sudden, Katie and Becca hear over the loudspeaker, Katie and Becca, your mother is <laughs> looking for you. Well, I see that dynamic in our relationship to God. God is searching for us, but we keep running around looking for God. And we miss him. We miss God sometimes. Because we're so busy building our idols. And trusting our heart to things that aren't going to deliver. What we need is someone on a loudspeaker. To come and say, come to this spot and God's going to find you. Stay where you are and let God come to you. See, God's on a quest, but our quest gets in the way. I, I don't know if you've ever done survival school or stuff like that. or I, I love those shows, by the way. And sometimes when you are lost... It is something, you have to go seek help. But most of the times, when you're lost, what you want to do is do stuff to make yourself easy to be found. Oh, oh that's, our, that's where we're at, folks. So whether you're watching this and you've never been to Silverdale Lutheran and 
you've never even heard of Christianity or you've only seen stuff on the TV or you have this, you know, a very a vague notion of what Christianity is. But let me tell you what the faith of God and Jesus Christ is. God has come to us in this person of Jesus. God finds us. We don't find him. And he comes to us. He says, stop and his word comes to us like it's doing right now. And that word comes and, and assures us that Jesus has defeated death, that he's claimed us, that he loves us, that we are his beloved. If we'll just stop and let his word come to us like you're doing right now. But that word might come through a friend. That word might come through someone you don't even know that shares the good news with you. That word might come to you um, in a Bible study or as you open up your Bible, as you open up the word. It might come to you as you're praying that God might find you that way. I know for sure he's given us two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, where he comes to us and claims us. Baptism is that event that happened once in our lives. It's like a wedding ring where God says, I've claimed you, you're mine, and anytime you're lost, you hold on to that. You claim your baptism, and you know that you are my child. In this crisis that we're going through, we want to claim our baptism. In the midst of the fear and uncertainty and anxiety and the worry and the loss, um, we can hold on to our baptism that God has broken through and, and God has given us this gift put his word with the water, and made us his own. And then in the meal and the supper, God in Christ promises that he comes to us through ordinary bread and wine. If you want to find me, God says, this is where I am. This is where you can find me. God comes over the loudspeaker and says, and does what's needed to put us back together again. I know that even though I know this, my heart chases away at other things and think they become idols for me. But God keeps coming back and says, Bill, come here, here, um, and comes back and meets me and gives me his forgiveness and grace and his promise. That's what is offered to you today. Stop. And know the goodness of God. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, gracious God, thank you for giving us Jesus and for raising him from the dead. Thank you that you've shown us who you are in this resurrection, that you are goodness and life and love and grace and forgiveness and mercy, that Jesus is the name above every name. And so today we just simply come to you and we offer our repentance and we turn from all those idols and we turn again to you to know your love and grace and mercy. Come to us now. Embrace us as we give thanks that you have found us, that we are a found people. Amen in Christ Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia.